Morning, everyone. Hope you guys are doing well. I just thought again, after we sang uh, Shout to the Lord, isn't that just the best worship song that was ever written in the history of worship songs? It just never grows old. It doesn't matter how many years you've been singing that song, you still feel like the roof is going to lift off when you're singing that thing. So uh, thanks for bringing that out of the closet again. I love that song. Um, Really great to be with you, and uh, thanks for coming if you're a visitor here. We really love having guests, and um, realize that coming to church can be a bit of a kind of brave move if you're not used to being in church, or this is your first time ever in a church meeting, certainly one like this. So thank you so much for coming. We really do appreciate you taking your time to be with us, and I hope you're enjoying yourselves so far. And uh, we are right now in a series on culture called Culture Matters. And in the eight or so years that I've been at King's Arms, this must be the sixth or seventh series that we've done on culture. And how many of you have been through all of those series? How many of you could preach the message that I'm about to preach, probably? Well, the reason that we're preaching about this again is we've discovered that this issue of defining the kind of people that we want to be is critical to seeing the life of God break out around us. Culture really is the kind of word that describes the kind of people that we want to be on the journey. It's not just enough to have a great end destination. It's important that you like who you are once you arrive there. And this is about family values. It's about the kind of life that we're going to live with one another. It's not just about the destination. And a a female member in our family who will remain unnamed, uh, but her name begins with C and ends in Arrol, she... She, in her teenage years, before she was a Christian, she, uh, she was a runner. She was an athlete, and uh, she was a very kind of competitive athlete, used to run in different kind of meetings across the country and Germany and different things. And uh, she had a coach who really, his end goal was to train a winner. And it was kind of a win-at-all-costs mentality. And so, for example, when she ran the 800 meters, his advice was, if you're rounding the last bend in the 800 meters, and there's someone right on your shoulder, spit over your shoulder, and then they'll lose momentum, and then you'll win the race. So this was the kind of coaching that she was getting. And so, um, and then on another occasion, she was running a mini marathon, and uh, in first service, I said it was televised on local television. Carol tells me it was actually televised on national television. And so the cameras are there, right on the start line. Carol's right at the front, getting ready to go. And uh, as the gun goes off, uh, she smacks the person in the face on her right, smacks them in the face on her left, and then legs it and gets, gets out in front. What she didn't realize is that her parents were watching the whole thing on national television, and she got an earful when she got home. But, you know, it's, it's important that you like who you are on the journey. It's not just about winning at all costs. How many of you know stories of people who've been incredibly driven to achieve something, but once they arrived there, they had a whole catalog of disaster behind them? And actually, in the journey, they'd lost who they were. They lost a sense of their moral compass, their integrity, that sense of who they really are. This is what culture speaks about. Peter Drucker said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's important to know where you're going, but who are you going to be when you get there? And I think in an increasingly kind of growing church environment, a very diverse kind of church, culture is 
all the more important. It's more important perhaps than it's ever been because culture is what glues us together with all of our differences and backgrounds and ethnicities and experiences of church. Defining how we want to live as a church family is the glue that holds all these different people that you can see around you together. It's the culture of our family. And and certainly for my family, we've been radically changed by encountering the kind of culture that we're trying to grow in this church. I remember the first times that we came down to the King's Arms. We were living up in the northeast of England, and I kind of traveled down to speak at a weekend, a leader's weekend, and I I learned far more than I gave on that particular occasion. And I remember as they kind of welcomed me up to speak, and I hardly knew Simon. I hardly knew anyone really in the church. And Simon kind of gave me this incredibly eloquent introduction. You know, this is Phil Wilshere, and he's a prophet. He's a world changer. He's been to the moon and back. He's, you know, he's done incredible things that you wouldn't believe. He's a man of faith, and get ready to receive him. Your lives are about to get changed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Those kind of things. And I'm thinking, who's he talking about? <laughs> I hardly recognize myself in his words. And, and then as I stood... You know, the whole room kind of stood to their feet and applauded me like I was a returning war hero. And I was like, this, this is different. This is what's, what's happening in this place. And you know that feeling when you're, you're in a culture of encouragement and kindness like that? There's something inside of you that just feels bigger than it did before. And you think, well, maybe I am a world changer. <laughs> maybe I am going to change some lives right now. And uh, the, the, the second time we visited was with my wife. And when we... In- they got her to come to the front to say hi. She kind of hobbled up because she had a little bit of a bad back at the time. And about fi- I was aware of about 50 pairs of eyes in the room just suddenly lock on her like she was a target for kindness. And, and at the end of the meeting, those 50 people surrounded her and prayed and prophesied over her. The next day, one of the ladies on this weekend away, she fasted for the day for Carol to be healed. There was a bouquet of flowers waiting on the chair saying, you are so special. We are praying for your healing. Someone had put like a special chair for her to sit in. And again, we were just encountering this kind of culture of kindness coming towards us that had a radical, radical impact upon us. The issue of culture is life transforming. If you decide who you want to be on the journey, it will change those around you as we have been changed by encountering you. Culture is so, so critical. So this morning what we're going to do is focus in on one of our culture values. We have five of them, and over the coming weeks you're going to hear about all five, so we're going to pick one of them off this morning. And we're going to start with a little bit of horrible history. Anybody uh, watch horrible histories with your kids? How many of you have got all your historical knowledge from watching <laughs> Horrible Histories? Yeah, I got most of my historical knowledge from reading Asterix books as a kid. But um, this is the same. So Horrible Histories. We're going to talk about this guy. This guy is probably one of the most notorious Roman emperors that there ever was. His name was Emperor Nero. I found the most unflattering picture that I could just to give you a flavor of who he is. And uh, Nero reigned as as a Caesar in Rome at the height of its power for about 14 years. He really, he murdered his way to the top. He kind of killed all of his competitors until finally he was top of the tree. And he was known, to be honest, for being a bit insane, a bit nuts, a few screws loose, a few picnics, sandwiches short of a picnic, all those metaphors. And he was incredibly, incredibly uh, unreliable and erratic as a leader. And in AD 64, he 
uh, oversaw this moment in Rome's history where a fire broke out right across Rome. And the rumor began to circulate that it was Nero himself who started the fire. 70% of that area where the fire started was completely destroyed. And many people think it was Nero who started it. And so there started to be these kind of rumors and, and kind of uprising against Nero. And so Nero found a very helpful solution, which was to find some easy scapegoats to blame the fire on. And guess who he blamed it on? Christians. If you had been a Christian in Rome during the time of Nero, you would have got the blame, my friends. <laughs> and this is what one uh, Roman historian, Tacitus, says about that moment. He said, And so to get rid of this rumor, Nero set up or falsely accused as the culprits and punished with the utmost refinement of cruelty, a class hated for their abominations, who are commonly called Christians. Accordingly, arrest was first made of those who confessed to being Christians, and then, on their evidence, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much on the charge of arson as because of their hatred for the human race. Besides being put to death, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clothed in the hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified, others set on fire to serve to illuminate the night when the daylight failed. Nero had thrown open his grounds for the display and was putting on a show in the circus where he mingled with the people in the dress of a charioteer or drove about in his chariot. All this gave rise to a feeling of pity, even towards men whose guilt merited the most exemplary punishment, for it was felt that they were being destroyed, not for the public good, but to gratify the cruelty of an individual. That was Emperor Nero. Violent, vicious, a murderer. Most historians say that it was probably Nero that was the one that beheaded the Apostle Paul. If you read in uh, Acts 28, Paul appeals to go to Caesar, to stand before Caesar. That Caesar probably was Emperor Nero, who eventually ended Paul's life. He also ended Peter's life. And in that context, just think about Nero. Here are the words that Peter writes to us. 1 Peter 2.16 Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. And you guessed it. The emperor at the time that Peter was writing this was our friend Nero. Honor the emperor. What the heck does this mean for us, you might ask? Well, that's what we're going to look at today because honor is actually a massive theme in scripture. It's right the way through the pages of the Bible. Some 240 times it's mentioned in the Old Testament, 121 times in the New Testament. There are many, many instructions to honor, whether it's honoring parents, whether it's honoring leaders, whether it's honoring the elderly, whether it's honoring marriage, or as in this case, whether it's honoring the emperor, and in fact, honoring everybody. Honor runs right through like a seam, like a coal seam, all the way through Scripture. So what do we learn about honor from this particular passage. Well, I think the first thing to say is this. Honoring others does not mean you have to agree with them. <laughs> Honoring others does not mean you have to agree with them. I am pretty sure that the Apostle Peter, when he wrote these words, did not agree 
with Nero's political policies. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that he would have been in opposition, personally. And I'm pretty sure that Peter, as we know he was, was incredibly passionate about evil being extinguished and right things being done. He was a man who was passionate for light to invade darkness. He was a man who was passionate about the oppressed being set free. He was a man who was interested in the social ills of society. And I bet if you got in the prayer closet with with Peter, you would have heard him praying, God, please, can we have a different emperor? Please really put a different guy on the seat of power who's actually going to lead justly. I'm sure you would have heard those kind of prayers for him. And yet... In a context where Roman emperors were getting assassinated all the time, he tells us, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. I don't think he agreed with him at all, but yet he still says, honor this guy. Don't go along with the cultural flow where you try to assassinate people that you do not agree with. I mean, you just have to look at our you know, uh, kind of Twitter feeds and news feeds in, in our day to see all sorts of public figures that are incredibly polarizing. And every Tom, Dick, and Harry kind of throwing stones from a distance. It's very easy to assassinate someone. But Paul says, that's actually not who you are anymore. You can disagree, but honor. Honor the emperor. Honor this guy. Learn to live in a way that that is reflected And I think for many of us, we've perhaps never quite learned how to disagree and to do it honorably. And that's why so many of us, perhaps, you've got stories in your own life, maybe your own church history, of moments where you had disagreements with people that ended in destruction, that ended in division. It's interesting, even the kind of Protestant kind of world, the Protestant church, it really started in a protest, It started with Martin Luther reading his Bible and saying, hang about, we're not doing this very well, we could do this better. And he banged his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg, and the Protestant church was born, the the first break-off from the Catholic church. And many, many years later, we now have 30,000 Protestant denominations. 30,000. Do you know the word denomination literally means divided nation? 30,000 divided nations, 30,000 occasions where probably we have disagreed and we've decided to divide. And yet, interestingly, you've still got one Catholic church that only has a history of one split in its history. I would suggest that's because they've learned how to honor their father. But that's another message. How do we disagree and yet do it honorably? And I would suggest to you that the key is learning That God, when he honors people, he does it not based firstly on their performance, but based on their intrinsic value. (laughs) It's very easy to encourage someone when they do something well. You know, we're in that kind of meritocracy where if someone does something well, we reward them, we heap praise on them. But actually, God first starts with honor by saying, I am going to honor you, not because you've done something well, but because you are made in my image. And no matter how flawed, how weak, how fragile, how depleted, how, how objectionable someone might be, the truth is, underneath all that stuff is someone who is made in the image of their father. You might be here, no matter how far away from God you might feel, no matter how far you might feel you've disqualified yourself, here is the truth. You have intrinsic value because you were made by your father. You were made by God. Even Emperor Nero was made by God. 
Therefore, Peter says, honor the emperor, not because he's doing good things, but because there is something underneath all that junk that he was made by the Father. He was made by God. Biblical honor flows from this principle. And, you know, sometimes it's much easier, isn't it, to see the junk that presents on the outside rather than the treasure that's on the inside. Very easy to spot the junk. Very easy to spot the stuff that disqualifies people. But actually, it takes the eyes of faith to see what's under the surface. To say, underneath all that stuff, there is someone who is valuable and someone who is worth fighting for and worth saving. You know, I've told this story before, but I love the story of a lady recently who um, got a piece of costume jewelry valued at Sotheby's. And she'd kind of worn this ring for years to parties. She just got it out for special occasions. She bought it for just literally a few quid at a car boot sale. And she had this kind of, kind of dirty-looking gold band on it and this big kind of diamond-looking thing that she just thought was glass and kind of worthless. And for over 10 years, she wore this thing to kind of parties. And then one of her friends one day said, I think maybe you should get that thing valued. I mean, that looks like pretty expensive. So she gets it valued at Sotheby's, and it turns out it's this rare 19th century diamond that was worn by French royalty, and they value it at 350,000 pounds. Or the other, if you, if you go on to kind of the top hits of the Antiques Roadshow, any Antiques Roadshow watchers amongst us? Well done, well done. There's no shame in watching the Antiques Roadshow. You know, one of the best discoveries on the Antiques Roadshow uh, was someone who brought this kind of bronze kind of flower pot that they kind of had in their front room that they used to kind of put flowers in. And they kind of brought it in to get valued. And uh, they got it valued. And it turned out it was a rare Parisian bronze jardinier made in 1874, which sold for 560,000 pounds at auction. <laughs> now, amazing. Doesn't that just make you want to instantly go home and check your loft? Like, just in case that rusty flower pot is worth something. It may be. Take it to Sotheby's. Let me have a look at it. Now, the truth is that honor, biblical honor, looks past the cheap exterior, and it looks what's on the inside. There is someone sitting in your seat who is valuable to God, who has worth to God. He has fixed his eye upon you. You are worth something to him because you're made in his image. And, of course, honor brings us right back to the heart of the gospel the fact that we can honor others because God took the first step. This is what it says in Ephesians 2.1. It says, you were dead in transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that when Jesus saved you, you weren't just spiritually asleep. You were spiritually dead. You didn't just need a doctor. You needed a miracle worker. <laughs> You didn't just need resuscitating. You needed someone to come and actually give you new life and start you again. God found you when you had nothing to offer to him while you were a long way off. God, who is rich in mercy, set his eye upon you and said, you are so valuable to me. I'm going to show you how much you're valued to me by giving you the most precious gift I can possibly give, the gift of my son. You measure the value of something by how much someone else is willing to pay for it. Let me just say that again. You measure the value of something by how much someone is willing to pay for it. The chief priests paid 30 pieces of silver for Jesus. That's how much they thought he was worth. And yet the father looks at you 
And he says, priceless. I'm going to give you my son because I want you in my family. Honor starts with the gospel. It starts with grace. It starts with saying, God, this is what you're like. You saw underneath all the junk that I had, and yet you still came for me. That's where honor starts, by recognizing value. But also, I think Peter wrote these words because he recognized that honor is a pathway to life. It's a pathway to spiritual life. In fact, the first commandment that comes with a promise is in Exodus 20, verse 12, where we read this. Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Peter understood this principle. Where we learn to cultivate lives of honor towards others, life comes. When you honor your father and mother, it's a pathway to long life. It's a spiritual principle. Lives of honor attract the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual thing at work. It's a spiritual principle. And I think Peter understood that. He understood, listen, we don't agree with Nero, but there is something about living countercultural lives of honor that reflect the gospel that allows his power to come and flood in and do what only he can do. You know, we uh, as a family, we uh, were once in a meeting with some officials who had really seriously messed up and in a way that personally affected us and our family. And we sat around the table with four members of this particular organization to have a conversation about what had happened. And I'll be honest, we had all sorts of different advice from different people, ranging from, you should take this to the newspapers, you should take it to the press, you should sue and press charges, you should do X, Y, and Z. But as we prayed about this meeting, I felt just we needed to do two things. I wanted them to accept responsibility, and I wanted to show them some honor. And so we went into this meeting with these four people, and they immediately took responsibility. They immediately said, this was our fault, and we're going to own up, and we're going to do whatever we can to make it right. And so I thought, right, you've done your bit. It's time for me to do my bit. And uh, the lady in question who particularly had kind of messed up, she hadn't been able to look at me the whole meeting. Her eyes literally were on her bootlaces. She, she looked literally like death warmed up. And as the meeting drew towards a close, I said, listen, before we finish, I just want to say a few things to you. I said, listen, the reality is we all make mistakes. I've made mistakes. You've made a mistake. Thank you so much for your apology. We completely forgive you. And more than that, do you know what? We really believe in you. We really believe in you. And you are incredibly gifted at what you do. We don't want this to spoil your sense of calling to do what you're meant to be doing in life. In fact, we are going to be praying for you. We're going to be praying that this is the best year you have ever had. We don't want this to disturb your confidence, but be confident. We are not angry with you. We are for you. We believe in you. You can do this. And of course, by this time, the tears are streaming down her face as she listens to these words. And you can just sense spiritually in the room, a highway of life just opened up. And suddenly, what was potentially a moment of destruction became a moment of redemption. It became a highway of life. And that's what honor does because it's a spiritual principle where you learn to honor even those that you disagree with and you've got issues to sort out with. Suddenly, God honors our honor and he comes in by his life. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the truth is you can only ever have as much influence in someone else's life as they know that you have value for them. If you want to change your workplace, start with honor. Start with honor. Think on Monday morning, how can I honor my work colleagues? 
What does it look like for me to be someone who shows them what God is like by the way that I speak, by the way that I act, by the way that I care? How can I be a living, breathing example of God's kingdom in my workplace? Because I tell you, when you start to value people, you start to have influence to change. That's how it works. And Peter understood this. And lastly, honor does actually look like something. And these are just a few practical ways that I think that we can live out this culture of honor with one another. And the first one is this. Live with continual thankfulness for the people that God has put in your life. <sighs> Do you know, have you noticed we tend to celebrate least the people that we're most familiar with? But honor says, I'm just going to live with continual thankfulness for the people that God has put around me. I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to switch on the attitude of gratitude in my life. And I'm going to live as someone who is continually thankful. Because that's what honor looks like. I remember going to Canada once with a, 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 a friend of mine. And he was leading a church. It was a fairly small church. And he had been leading faithfully for over two decades in this church. And right at the start of the meeting, I just felt, right, we need to thank this guy. And his name was Fred. And I just said, Fred, you know what? I just want to thank you on behalf of the church for your years of dedication of leading this community. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your time. Thank you for every hidden work of service. Thank you so much for pouring your heart and soul, for praying for people around this room. And just as I was talking, just again, tears just began streaming down his cheeks. And I said, why don't we just, let's stand and express our thanks to Fred and for his wife and how they've led this community. And the whole room stood and they just applauded for ages till he got embarrassing and uncomfortable. And, and Fred, he was literally in, he was in bits at the front of the meeting. And it was so, afterwards he said, no one has ever taken the time to honor me in that kind of a way. He said, you'll never understand how powerful a moment that was for me. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. I mean, here's just a little, little way that you can do this. How many of you have got children in our kids' work? Okay, a few of us. Just, here's a little simple one. You know, when you go and pick up your children, just remember that our kids' workers are some of the heroes of this church family. You know, they are raising world changers in their spare time. In this spare time, you know, they're right there right now raising world changers. So I would encourage you, when you go and pick up your kids, don't go with that kind of, you know, that sometimes slight kind of rush or sense of entitlement of, oh, you need to take these and I'm off to go and do the important stuff in the main meeting. You know, but actually think, do you know what? These guys are raising world changers. Thank you so much for looking after my children this morning. I so appreciate what you're pouring into their lives. Thank you for taking care of them. I'm going to be praying for you. It doesn't take much. Just one simple thank you. Just to honor those that are serving around us. Next, fight the urge to gossip. Speak well of people when they are present and call out who people are made to be. I just want to encourage you just to refuse gossip. Just to refuse griping about other people. Ask yourself, would I say these things if this person were in the room present? You know, I would suggest to you that grumbling and gossip are two of the most socially acceptable sins in the church. I mean, they, they go on everywhere, don't they? It goes on in the workplace, it goes on in family, it goes on in church. And here's a great rule of thumb. If I am not part of the solution, don't tell me. Don't tell me. In fact, Scripture says if you've got something that you need to sort out, some disagreement or an area that you need to work on, you first go to that person personally and try and work it out. 
That's how it works in family. You've got responsibility. You know, don't go and tell someone else about it first. Go and try and sort it out yourself. If you can't resolve it, then go and find someone else who can be part of the solution to help you. That's how it works. But here's the thing. Gossip and grumbling are spiritual things. That's why gossips and grumblers always find each other. I'm serious. If you have got a grumble about something, you will find 10 other people who've got the same grumble within two weeks. Why? Because it's a spiritual thing. Gossip is spiritual. And part of honor is actually choosing to highlight people's strengths instead of their weaknesses. You know, just imagine the conversations. Instead of kind of pointing out people's faults, that in our private conversations we were saying, that guy is amazing. I just love him so much. Did you see how strong he was? I really believe in that. I just love that guy. Those are the kind of conversations we should be having in our lives. I remember once a, a, a friend of mine, he's a church pastor, he phoned me because he'd had another prophetic friend come to his church to do some ministry. And when he told me, he said, I've just had this guy in our church. I just wanted to ring you and tell you about it. I was thinking, oh, no, it's gone really badly wrong. You know, he's going to tell me the things that went pear-shaped. But for five minutes, he just boasted about this other man's strengths. And he just said, this guy was absolutely brilliant among us. He was absolutely superb. His attitude was brilliant. His ministry was powerful. We just so loved having him. And I was still waiting for the punchline at the end. I was waiting for him to say, but there was one thing that troubled me, but he never said it. And he said, that's the only reason I'm ringing. Thanks so much. Bye. Put the phone down. And here's the thing. If that guy boasts about someone's strengths in private, I know he will probably do that about me and you and others besides what a beautiful thing. Just find someone else and just boast about someone else's strengths. You say, you know that guy? I just love him so much. What a gift he is. That's what honor looks like. Thirdly, learn from everyone and anyone. You know, adopt this attitude of being a learner. You know, the truth is you can learn from everybody and anybody. And if you only limit the people that you listen to, people that you remind you of yourself and are exactly like you, you will only grow so far. The truth is, every single person has an inheritance that they carry that you receive when you learn to honor them. This is what Mark Brooks says. Realize that people carry an inheritance for you. If you honor them, no matter how simple they seem, you will be able to receive an inheritance from them. And the power that you receive from the person speaking to you will depend on the amount of honor you show them. Love what Billy Graham said. He said, I have learned to make my, coach, my critics into my coaches. Even people who give feedback that's unkind, usually there's something that you can learn if you adopt the attitude of a humble learner. That's what honor looks like. Honor everybody. Next, honor those who fail you and let you down. Again, that's really, really important. You know, don't you wish if, has anyone here ever made a mistake ever in your life? There's a few people who've never have. That's amazing. Please see me afterwards. Jesus may have returned. You know, don't, don't you wish when you make a mistake that when you own up to your mistake, you receive grace and you receive love and you receive someone who says, I forgive you, have another go. Don't, don't, isn't that what you long for? What you long for personally, make sure you give away to others who fail you. It's a simple principle. Next, don't be afraid to challenge people privately, but defend them publicly. It's a very, very important principle of honor. 
you know, before you shout it from the rooftops, make sure you have a conversation in private first. That's how it works. And then lastly, learn to honor with your whole time, body, money, everything about you. Uh, one sociologist, Albert Merriban, said this, that 55% of your communication as a human being is what happens with your body language. 38% is your tone of voice, and only 7% are the actual words that come out of your mouth. That means the most powerful things that you are communicating to other people about the culture of honor are not this, what's coming out of here, but what's happening in your body. The way that you talk to people, for example. You know, when you talk to someone, I would suggest you don't want to be looking at your phone like something more important is happening in Twitter sphere than the person that you're talking to. Look into their eyes. Look into their eyes. You know, give them attention. Listen. Seek first to try and hear what they're saying rather than turning the conversation back to you. Seek first to really say, I'm, I'm attentive. I'm, I'm going to show you honor with my body language. You know, it can be things like punctuality, time, timekeeping. You know, I realize that timekeeping has a different cultural value in different nationalities. If you go to different nations, there are different values on timekeeping. There is nothing particularly sacrosanct about punctuality. But an important question in every culture, every national culture that you go into to ask is, what is honoring in this culture? You know, if you go to a culture where you, you, you take your shoes off at the door, make sure you take your shoes off at the door because that communicates honor. It's, it's important. If you go to a culture where it's important to eat whatever is set before you, make sure you eat whatever is set before you because that communicates honor. Well, I would suggest to you that in the United Kingdom, punctuality is one of those things that communicates honor. It's a very British trait. I'm really sorry. It is. It's a very British thing that communicates honor. And it's interesting, isn't it, that sometimes we will be on time for money at work, but we won't be on time for honor at church. Preach it, brother. Yeah. All you, all you guys who are really punctual are loving this point right now, I know. You know, and, and here's the thing. Honor is not a stick that we ever beat people with. So if someone walks in late, you don't go, ah, it wasn't very honoring. That's not how it works. But actually, if you are late, then just own up and say, sorry, I'm really sorry I'm late. That's all it takes. I'm really sorry I'm late. You know, if you, if you say you want to have 10 minutes of someone's time and half an hour later you're still talking, you have not actually honored someone's time. You know, stop talking at nine and a half minutes. And if they want you to carry on, they'll ask you. Simple things. Because honor is not just about the words that we speak, but our whole lives. We can go on and on about that. And then lastly, make sure you practice on yourself what you preach to others. Do you know, honor works three ways. It works to God, it works to other people, but you're also called to honor yourself. To honor yourself. And you export the honor that's inside of you. Psalm 8.4 says that God has crowned mankind with glory and honor. Honor. You have been crowned with honor by God. It's so important. You know, this week, I'll finish with this story. I was with a, a lady, and she was saying, you know, I'm praying for so many pastors at the moment. And I asked them, who are you? And they tell me what they do. And she said, it's happening all the time at the moment. And when she said that, I thought, you're going to do that to me in a few moments. And sure enough, a few moments later, she got me to stand up, and she's like, Phil, I want you to tell everybody who you are. <laughs> 
And I had to stand there and say who I was in front of all of them. And I just want to throw out this challenge. Could you do that? If someone said, who are you? Would you be able to stand and say, I am a special treasure of God. I'm a delighted one. I am seated with him. I am a carrier of heaven's revelation. I am a bringer of his peace. Where I go, his spirit follows. I bring revival. Whenever I step in a room, his presence comes and changes things. Are you able to say those kind of things? Because I tell you, you've got to learn to honor who God has made you to be. You have intrinsic value. Let's keep building this culture of honor. And I tell you, it will keep changing this world. Let's stand together and let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just quickly pray together. If you just freshly this morning want to commit yourself to living out this culture of honor in your workplace, in your family, I just want you to lift your hands where you are right now. Some of you may have done this hundreds of times. For some of you, this may be the very first time that you've even heard this principle. Father, see our response here this morning. God, we just say we're, we're, we're in for living counterculturally. We are in for doing it the kingdom way, for doing it the Jesus way. God, we're not about assassinations. Lord, we're about honor. We're about learning to live out the gospel and to honor even those that we disagree with. Help us to do this, Father. I pray that your kingdom values of kindness and compassion and mercy and seeing the best would just filtrate out of our life wherever we go. Holy Spirit, rest upon us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And I want to commission you like Paul tried to commission the Romans. He said, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. And I just want to give you this challenge. What does honor look like for you this week? What does it look like for you to spread the fragrance of Jesus' kingdom wherever you go? Learn to honor and His Spirit will not be far behind. Amen.